Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Counseling. If you're having some issues, if you're struggling with happiness or achieving your goals, whether you're dealing with depression, stress, anxiety, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, whatever it is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is a convenient, professional, affordable option. Best of all, you don't have to wait in a waiting room or sit in traffic. Everything you share is confidential. You can change therapists if need be for free. It's easy. Best of all, you get 10% off of your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash other PPL. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash other PPL. Go get 10% off betterhelp.com slash other PPL. All right. Hey, folks, today's episode is brought to you by Rare Bird Books, publisher of Water Wasted, the new novel by Alex Branson. Water Wasted is about love and loss, grief, and the passage of time. It's about the shocking death of a teenage boy in a small town and the impact that it has on a couple who is still mourning the death of their own daughter nearly a decade earlier. Blending whimsy and wonder with a mix of mayhem and malevolence, Water Wasted takes readers on a tour of loss, redemption, and the great unknown. Water Wasted by Alex Branson, available now from Rare Bird Books. Hey everybody, how are you? Welcome back to The Other People Show, or welcome to The Other People Show, if this is your first time. My name is Brad Listy, and I'm in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. I have Travis Haywisher on the program today. He is the author of a new book called The $2 Radio Guide to Naming Your Baby. <laughs> Travis Haywisher is a comedian, he's a journalist, he's an author, and he's written a send-up of baby naming books. Uh, which is a kind of book that I have purchased in my life more than once. I've talked about this a little bit, I think, on the program in the past. And I did so when I was uh, naming my children. I did so when I was naming my dogs. I take naming very seriously as a person named Brad, as somebody who has to bear this <laughs> legacy. I used to carry this name around. I feel a particular obligation to put some real thought and effort into choosing names for living beings who uh, are, you know, my responsibility. 
I also think that there's something to be said for naming characters well when you're a writer. Every writer goes through this when you're, you know, you're trying to name characters, you're trying to figure out what the right name is. There's something, you know, intuitive about it. You eventually settle on something that feels right. But I just thought it would be interesting to do a conversation with Travis and to just talk about names for a while. And I think that this idea of doing a funny book, like a funny baby naming book is a, is a good one. It's like, why didn't I think of this? This is a great idea. So, uh, a bit of an, you know, a bit of a curveball episode. I've never done a baby naming book episode before, but I figured now is the time as we round the bend into December and we head for the holidays. This is my conversation with Travis Haywisher, and once again, his new book is called The $2 Radio Guide to Naming Your Baby, available now from $2 Radio. How about this? I'll read the the back jacket um, sentence where it mentions Brad, Todd, and Brandy with an I. Okay. It says, unless your child is an 80s villain, we can all agree that Brad, Todd, and Brandy with an I are all atrocious ideas. (laughs) So we, uh, this just confirms what I've been saying for (laughs) my entire adult life. Well, this is going to be perfect because I'll tell you the origin of how this book came about, which is pretty much right in line with probably what your life has been like. Okay. Well, how did it come about? So this started actually, uh, I've been doing stand up off and on for many years while I was also working in journalism. And so I think it started from a bit or something I just said in conversation where I more or less said, okay, here's a theory. Let's poke holes in it. If if there's a man with a one-syllable first name that is not short for something, is it most likely that he is an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just kind of like a weird parlor game, like a thing to throw out. Like I started doing it with like strangers and then that kind of evolved, like I said, people every time, they would just giggle. They'd be like, okay, Brad, Chad. I'd be like, no, not Brad. Brad, Brad's short for Bradley. He doesn't count. But it would be like Chad, Brett, Clint. <laughs> and you just kind of see people like kind of giggle at like, all right, maybe this checks out. And then that sort of turned into a full-blown green room, bar patio, like road trip game, uh, which we either called the name game or at some point was referred to as fuck Todd (laughs) (laughs) and that's what we would do. And so I started doing it live too. So we just go around and around. Like somebody would say, okay, Todd and everybody would roast the essence of Todd and try to top one another. And then I kind of started playing like MC and I would be like, okay, okay, that's the best one of Todd. What's Todd's high school girlfriend's name. And somebody would be like, Oh, it's Brittany, but with an IE. Like, ooh, okay, that does make a difference. And then we would just go. <laughs> so it so it turned into like, you know, this this thing that I was honestly not even doing a lot with comedians. I was doing it with my friends who I just think are also hilarious and kind of cutting and biting. And we would just it for like two years, it was just kind of like a little bit of a phenomenon in our friends group. And then two dollar radio was like Hey, um, after I think I had pitched it once before, they said, we want to do these little guides to, we want to do some irreverent stuff around the time of the election. Do you think you can switch that premise that we already think is funny to a baby naming book? And I was like, 
oh hell yeah even better let's 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 roast let's roast some infants that don't technically exist yet um and, and so yeah it was yeah that's 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 how it came about okay so and you live in ohio I do, yeah, Columbus, Ohio. Okay, and that's where Two Dollar Radio is uh, headquartered. And I should say, you know, this is a bit of a a, 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 a divergent episode for me. I'm typically talking to uh, people about like high literary efforts, you know, their poetry collection or their like uh, you know navel gazing novel or whatever it is. And I think that. I've been meaning to talk to somebody about names for a long time because I've been fixated on mine for so long, but also because I think I'm just generally fascinated with the words that we use to signify ourselves and how, you know, how they're bequeathed to us and what they mean. And I can become kind of melodramatic about my name. I really do feel like it's a curse. Like there's only so much a guy named Brad can do in this world. Like (laughs) I'm not... Like really, like I feel like there are limits imposed by the name, though that might yeah. ju- that might just be me getting crazy about it. No, I mean, I, I I do think that you know, if there was a focus group, you know, there was like a political action committee, they'd be like, "Can we really get Brad elected, like B- President <laughs> Brad?" <laughs> well, that and honestly, that's how this kind of came about in my act. I think I used to do a joke where I would say like how did I grow up with like 19 Eric's, but I've never heard somebody say, I got to go to my grandpa Eric's house. And I was like, what happened to all of our Eric's? Like, do they just, do they just take them to a farm upstate? Like, are they all like decommissioned in a warehouse somewhere? Like the old Chuck E. Cheese band? Like I didn't. And it's so, so all my jokes just kind of started like revolving around like, you know, the intro to the book is like, you know, Sorry, you can't have a baby named Keith. Like Keith isn't a baby's name. That's a stepdad's name. So <laughs> you've got to try again. Like Keith is already smoking. He can't be an infant. Like everybody knows this. This is just science. And so I think I had the same feeling as you from the comedic side of things was, you know, this is kind of like a a super jokey, super silly premise for a book. Like I find it hilarious that it's my first like published book outside of like journalism but i do think there's a lot of actual like pathos to explore here i think if people find this funny and enjoyable it's because what we call ourselves and what our parents decided to call us does actually play into our identity a little bit and there's just kind of a weird alchemy in cracking jokes about it no no absolutely and i think uh, you know, my own experience getting dogs, believe it or not, and also as a parent, I have two kids. In both cases, I bought baby naming books. Yep. And I felt an enormous pressure, an enormous pressure to, to pick good names. Uh, not only because I feel like I have issues with my own name, I didn't want to repeat that sin, uh, but also because like it's such a strange responsibility to have to name another being like this permanent stamp you put on them. It really is. And, and then it was like, okay, well, I you know, if off the top of my head, I can think of a few names that I don't mind. But what if I'm missing something truly great? And yeah. I don't, I don't have a comprehensive list of name possibilities in my head. So you need one of these books, and I literally sat there and read every fucking name in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just kind of, 
I don't think I plan on having kids. Uh, so I feel like I've gone through the same thing that you and other parents have gone through, which is reading every damn name that could exist in the world for a child. But I think, I think your point about, uh, you know, having to bestow a name upon a, a child that not, that does not yet have a personality or interests or, you know, like fears once like things that they get excited about, like, course that's pressure i mean i'm i'm 41 years old i don't have any tattoos because i can't figure out i couldn't think of possibly anything that i thought was cool even five years ago that i would even put on my own body let alone putting a name on a child that you made i have the same exact attitude about tattoos like to me it's not a i'm not opposed to tattoos i just cannot make the decision who can who can get that locked in on something like yes I need this to be permanently inked on my body, especially when you're 18. Could you imagine the things you were into when you were 18? If you got a tattoo the moment you were legally allowed to, yeah, they're never oh. never a good idea. Almost no, never. Shudder at the thought. But I will say uh, I was looking at the, I guess they're Harry Styles the the uh, what is it One Direction guy you know he's uh-huh. sort of like a teen heartthrob and. He was on um, the internet last week because he did like some L cover where he wore a dress. Did you see this? I saw that. And there was this photo shoot that he did, and he's got all these tattoos. You know, he's like shirtless, and it's this provocative thing, and he's got all these tattoos. And I thought to myself, like, like these are, you know, th- this guy knows how to have tattoos. Like some people know how to do it, and it looks good on them or something. And I feel like I would just look like a jackass if I had a bunch of tattoos. Well, pretty good point, too, because I'm pretty sure he wasn't born Harold James Styles. So when you're in a boy band, you can also just pick your name and then make your name fit your identity or vice versa. You know, like maybe he can't pull off wearing that dress in those tattoos in Vogue magazine as his name is Brad Wilson. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Is his name Harry Styles? Because that is a ridiculously good name. For I would a... imagine it's not. But then again, you and I don't look like Harry Styles. So maybe that's just how the Harry Styles of the world are born. You know, like that kid comes out beautiful with like a full head of like gelled hair somehow as an infant. <laughs> and his parents just looked at him and they were, he, he probably did a little pirouette. He did a little quick spin and the splits. And they were like, you shall be. Harry Styles. (laughs) And the last name Styles. It's just too good. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. 
Uh, so what about your name, Travis? Like, how, how do you have a complicated relationship with your name? Not really. I mean, there's some funny stories. It's funny. I didn't like put it fully in the book, but there's a certain mention to it. Um, well, number one, so my wife is British. Like, so she moved to Ohio for me, which, you know, thank God this is for audio. If you could see me, you'd be like, huh? Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, uh, while Trump was president, too, moved to America for a bald Midwestern, uh, not yet published humor writer. Um, and when she went to tell her mom about me when we first started dating long distance, we met in New Orleans, actually. And she was like, oh, you know, my mom's not a big fan of America, which sure makes sense. Plenty, plenty to like and dislike. And she said, oh, and when I tell her your name, that's not going to make things any better. And I was like, what's wrong with my name? She was like, it's so American, <laughs> which was surprising to me because like, you know, I think, you know, we're doing this thing right now, you know, like Chad, Brad, you know, like now everybody's obsessed with Karen, you know, like there's these certain sort of American name tropes. I was like, Travis isn't that popular in America. Um, and then of course I remember that in my Ohio high school, on my varsity basketball team, which is like maybe 11 or 12 people, I was one of three Travises. So it was kind of popular, I think, around the time that I was coming of age. Um, also, side note on that, my mother-in-law, who I love dearly because she cracks me up and she's very, very British, when she told her finally that she was dating someone named Travis who was American, her response was, I don't understand why Americans insist on giving their children these made-up names. <laughs> <laughs> she said, if you're going to call him Travis, you might as well call him Champion the Wonder Horse. <laughs> so imagine how delightful that is in a British accent. So in the book, I made several vague uh, dedications in the, uh, in the dedication page. I believe I said appreciation and apologies to, and I mentioned Champion the Wonder Horse in there <laughs> so what are good names like do you ha have having gone through the catalog like do you have some favorites or do you feel like there are particular names that have stood the test of time or who in this cultural moment for whatever reason you know uh, function well and offer possibility yes and it's funny too because when you said that I, I wanted to be like the subtext of this book is like where's this fucking guy named travis get off telling me that my kids names are stupid which is sort of funny. And I tried to bust my own chops as much as possible in this book as well. Um, there's actually a chapter that didn't make it in. Uh, I think I just kind of didn't quite get it together on the deadline while I was writing jokes that I really thought would be a nice sort of like, uh, you know, digest teeth a little bit to like all these sort of baby burns. And it was just going to be a list of actual children that are, that I've encountered or in my world or my friend's kids that I was just going to be like as a dedication almost and to show I wasn't a complete prick. It's like, Hey, these are the people who have nailed their children's names. Don't ask me why. I think these are timeless and cool. Don't steal these names, but be like these people. So a couple of us that didn't make it, which could be for the podcast here. Uh, my cousin's second child, her name is Maxine stone. Maxine stone's a great name. So wait, is that one name or is it like a stone that's is the, the middle name? No, that's the first and middle. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I like the name. I mean, the name Maxine is sort of uh, timeless. Yeah. So like Maxine is kind of timeless. Like Stone has a middle name. I was just like, that's just kind of cool. Like she sounds like she should be like a, you know, a, she's going to grow up to be like a correspondent in Tehran. <laughs> you know, like I just love the idea of being like, we've got to go change Maxine Stone. And I'm just like, that's, she's got like a power suit of a name, but is, currently just like unable to eat on her own that's fascinating to me or get to the toilet for that matter. exactly <laughs> um one day they'll be saying that like a you know she'll be getting an award from the un and they'll be telling stories about maxine stone not being able to wipe herself <laughs> <laughs> my they're they're mostly they're mostly uh girls names i suppose like i have another friend whose daughter's name is winona dove she goes by Noni. She's cool. And a lot of times too, like these kids like also have these like super mercurial, like fun, like precocious personalities. And I always wonder to myself, like how much of that is like the name that you give them and how much of that is sort of like ascribed to them from your parents? Like would your parents have raised you differently if your name was Aloysius instead of Bradley? I don't, I don't know. My name isn't even Bradley. It's just Brad. Oh, fucking great. I love it. A pure Brad. <laughs> it's a very rare being in this planet. It's just a, a That pure... means your parents were like, look, don't be trying to formalize our child into Bradley like he's some sort of royalty. <laughs> no, I'm a commoner. I come from common people. My, uh, my wife and I, so, as I said, she moved here from the UK. Our immigration lawyer, who I love... And I call him this specifically because it's it's part of his identity to me. I saw it on his his law degree uh, when we first met with him, and his name is Charles Eddie, not Edward. His middle name is Eddie. And I just thought, I just love that. That's different. That's kind of cool. It certainly means he was probably named after an Eddie, not an Edward. And I was like, there's probably a story there. So like, when I say his name, I don't say charles or charles smith i'm like we got to talk to charles eddie and so i'm just like you you know like i know this is like a funny silly book and i like cracking the jokes but it is like a fun entry point into like a discussion about identity and what your name has to do with that well and it's also i think a shrewd move potentially like you never know how the market's going to react but i think about a conversation that i had on this show with adam mansbeck who wrote go the fuck to sleep and sold a bajillion copies of this thing that he basically wrote in 10 minutes. And the reason, I think, is that it just expressed something that had for a long time gone unexpressed in this particular market, and it did it kind of perfectly. And when it comes to baby naming books, you know, it's typically a very dry affair. It's just a, a book with a bunch of names in it. And it, I think these books might be missing a lot of what we've been talking about, like the pressure that you feel how absurd it is to have, like what an absurd responsibility it is to have to name an infant. Uh, and so maybe there's a, a case to be made that your book could, could uh, you know, sell a bajillion copies too. Maybe people are ready for this. Let's hope so. Let's hope we, let's, let's hope we go the fuck to the big bank in publishing heaven. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but know. no, I mean, that has been mentioned. I mean, I, I was not thinking about that as I wrote this because, the, like I said, this was so organic coming from just like a game we used to play, but... Yeah, I think now that you mentioned it, uh, you know, 
and I feel like maybe so you're a parent and I'm not, but I feel like maybe this has always been the case. There's a there's a bit of a condescension that I think the general market uh, art or just kind of the general consumer market seems to kind of have for parents. You know, it's like not only do they not stop having a sense of humor, but this is when their life gets fucking crazy and weird and funny, you know, like stories about, you know, you being hung over and your kids banging on pots and pans. It's funny. It's relatable. You know, like that's, that's what half of Instagram is, you know, like my friends who have kids who are funny, irreverent, like people, you know, like, yeah, their social life changes a little bit, but like, it's still the same things about life that make you laugh that are like scary and weird and fucked up. And so I think, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I mean, I, I think my ultimate hope, my, my number one hope is that people read it and it strikes a chord and they laugh. Like writing written humor is challenging. It's really the first time I've done it. I've been writing jokes for the stage for 20 years and I've been writing more straight up journalism and kind of human interest pieces and interview pieces for that same amount of time. But writing humor for print for a shelf life was a wholesale different challenge. And that's my number one goal is that people giggle at it, which I feel like I did my job. But secondly, if people read it and think like, Hey, this is cool because it's for parents, but it's not, you know, sort of like neutered or watered down or, you know, made to be something sponsored by a, you know, a, baby food company <laughs> right right where it's all like it's all like uh saccharin and uh um, yeah what's the word i'm looking for like uh, sanitized kind of it's yeah. like it's as if this like market of readers or consumers like you know they have a baby now so they just stopped having a sense of humor or stopped having you know like this sort of irreverent streak in them and like you know also that's not the way it goes i mean that's what i got i got my sense of humor i think and my desire to make people laugh from my parents, from watching my parents and how they interacted with their friends. I mean, like, you know, still a good old fashioned dad joke every once in a while is is solid. I mean, like that's that's kind of a part of that stage of your life. Yeah, well, and I, there's something fundamentally wild about reproducing, and nobody's really qualified to do it. You know, there's <laughs> a, it's just a. I think anybody who's ever had a baby or, or maybe even given it like a reasonable amount of thought comes to that conclusion where you're like, what in the fuck are we doing? We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Like somehow the world's most important job is uh, there is there is no prerequisite for it whatsoever other than like your body. Like that is pretty wild. <laughs> and so you're, you're not going to have kids like you've made this decision. Is that official? I think so. I, I how about this? I. I've not I've not ruled out being a parent, but I do think that we're probably not going to have biological children. Not to get too personal about it, but I think I did kind of reach a point where, you know, I don't know. I I love children. I love family. Usually somebody like me who says that would be somebody who is just like I've always known I don't want to have children. It's surprising to say that out loud, but I think it kind of fits the way I want my life to go and, you know, I don't like I don't I don't feel the need for children to complete me and and frankly I'm very terrified of the pressure that you talk about. Yeah. It's no Absolutely. small Absolutely. It's no small thing. And when you say 
how you want your life to go. Does this mean like your artistic life, like the way that maybe parenthood might impede upon your creative pursuits or your ability to travel and go out to dinner and do all those kind of like pre-COVID things that adults like to do? I think that's part of it, but I think it became a larger thing, which is just um, I've I've been very fortunate to have a day job and creative pursuits that have not bankrupted me. I've been able to live a comfortable-ish life, and I I truly think it's just so expensive to raise children in the modern world. It's different than when I was growing up. You know, like the college I went to is two and a half times more expensive than it was. 20 years ago, you know, like, where'd you go? I went to Ohio state. I went, I was very Midwest, but, uh, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's not just like the pressure, but, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of, and I don't mind saying it in somewhat of a selfish way. Like there's a little bit of a freedom and, you know, myself and my wife can fashion a life for ourselves. And I think what gets lost is not like a fun, exciting life, but a life with a little bit of freedom of choice to not have to at some point just like get a job to pay the bills because you have multiple mouths to feed. Like there's some, there's some fulfillment and satisfaction in being able to say, Hey, it's she and I making decisions for us. And again, I think we might feel very differently in a couple of years. She's younger than me. Um, so we'll see, but I don't think we've ruled out adoption or fostering as well because we both do love children, but yeah, well, honestly, she kind of came to the table with that. She's like, I don't think I want to have kids of my own. And I was like, now that you mentioned it, I might be the same. <laughs> well, but the thing is, if you ever do decide to to go down that road, whether it's adoption or biology or whatever it is, you've done this book. Like the naming part of it should hopefully be less stressful than it otherwise would be. Or maybe it'll See? be mo- maybe it'll be more stressful. I don't know. See, exactly. What if I'm the adoptive parent? And I'm like, I, I want them to already have their own personality and their own name by then. I'll just meet them. I'll meet them midstream. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I'll come in and consult. Like you've already started to like create your identity. Like this is not this. This was not a Travis Haywisher joint. <laughs> what if you're What if you're fostering a kid? They're like, here he is. He's six years old, and his name's Chad. And uh, here he is. Here's your foster child, Chad. Would you be like pulling him aside? Like, listen, kid. <laughs> We need yeah. to we need to reconsider. Maybe this isn't you know this name is an albatross, and uh, I can advise you. I can consult. <laughs> I'll dust off the old book. <laughs> I'll be like, look, look, many many Chads, Brads, and Brandies with an eye. They grow up to lead very productive lives. Uh, this does not mean it's over. Some, I mean, we, I've even I've even met one who is a successful podcaster. Like they're. <laughs> They're out there like you can do this. But in the meanwhile, since we're mixing it up and I'm your new dad, what have you always wanted to be called? Let's let's treat your name like a tattoo. But, you know, like, what do you what do you want? I always thought it'd be fun to have like a kid whose first and middle name was the first and last name of a famous person. But you just never really make a big deal out of it. So, you know, like still with the German Midwest last name of Haywisher and just be like, this is my son, Dwayne the Rock Johnson Haywisher, and just put it all in there. <laughs> Dwayne's another one, though. That's a tr- that's a that's a tough name. I yeah, feel. yeah. I mean, nobody. I mean, he wouldn't be where he's at right now. He could not walk into a packed WWE arena and yell out, "Do you smell what Dwayne is cooking?" <laughs> like that's not going to work. No, no, exactly. Like Dwayne Johnson does not become. A global superstar. 
No. Dwayne Johnson sounds like a judge is calling his name for a hearing that he didn't show up for. And everybody knew he wasn't going to come, including Dwayne. It's just a <laughs> foregone conclusion. He's going back in jail. Everybody knows. Damn. You know, and I, I think, too, about people who, uh, like Bob Dylan, you know, all these different uh, entertainers who, for what, one reason or another, a lot of times I feel like in, um, especially in, like, mid-century um, American culture, there were a lot of Jewish artists who sort of scrubbed their their name or change their name to, to get rid of the, the super like Jewiness of their name or something. But right. you also, you know, there's just a long tradition of performers picking a stage name and you know, what was it? What is uh Bob Dylan's real name? Is it, isn't it like Zuckerberg? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, if, I mean, Dylan could have, you know, I mean, he went the poetry route. He was like, I'm going to pick Dylan because of Dylan Thomas, but he could have been like, I'm Robbie Z. And the Rip Roarers, you know, like, I mean, he's born Robert Zimmerman. That's right. Zimmerman. You yeah. know, and, uh, a Jewish kid from Minnesota, you know, like he could have gone the other way with it entirely and been like, you know, I'm Muddy Waters or I'm, you know, David Bowie. And how much would that have even changed his music? Would we, would we have accepted protest songs from little Robbie Z? or even bob zimmerman i mean you know what i'm saying like i feel like it really does because bob dylan sounds cool yeah and robert you know bob zimmerman sounds like the kid who grew up down the street and you're just sort of like oh you know and um david bowie changed his name too didn't he yes he did david bowie uh david bowie picked the name because he thought it sounded american but he he couldn't go by his actual birth name because there was already davy jones from the monkeys Oh, right. Okay, so he was David Jones. Yeah, so he was born David Jones, had to change his name to a stage name because another person chose his birth name as a stage name as a British man making music in America. Well, I mean, I guess that forces the issue. but A little bit. I thought about it when I was uh, first publishing. I was like, you know, maybe I should have a pen name, get rid of this Brad. <laughs> um but then ultimately where I came down was I was like, you know what? I am who I am. Fuck it. It doesn't – if the book is no good, it doesn't matter how cool my name is. And... Of course. And and the thing is you define it, right? You know, you define it. Owning it and defining it like that is different. Like I will get off this podcast and I will tell somebody I met a Brad that wasn't a Bradley. Like that <laughs> makes you unique in my book and my travels and my kind of experiences. And, you know, I mean like – I actually, so I actually listened to the last couple episodes of your podcast and I got, I actually kind of nerded out because like I said, I'm usually not getting interviewed for being an author. I'm usually the one doing the interviewing, uh, in my past. And I was like, I told my dad who to your question about where my name came from. Part of the inspiration was from my dad reading all these old, uh, paperback novels. And there was a character named Travis McGee who like lived on a houseboat and like a salvage yard or something like he was like a detective. I can't remember the exact story, but that was part of where the name Travis stuck in my dad's head apparently. And I tease my dad all the time about how he would just read every single like detective mystery thriller paperback that ever existed. So I felt pretty cool telling him that I was going to be on a podcast whose recent guest was Dean Koontz. There you go. So, you you helped me score points with my dad. And it's the same thing, though. It's like I was listening to another podcast I'm going to be on. They recently interviewed Chuck Klosterman, and who's one of my favorite authors. And I'm just like, 
but he's not a Chuck. Like if I made a joke about a Chuck, I'm picturing somebody I went to elementary school with or somebody in a movie. But when you put Chuck together with Chuck Klosterman, like it's a whole different identity. So same with Brad, you know, Brad Listy, podcast host, Dean Koontz. Like it's, it's the way those two fit together with what you do in your life to create that identity. So yeah, I think, I think owning, owning the Brad is, is a solid move. Well, and I think, I think you bring up an interesting point, which is that the last name is a thing too, you know, it's also bequeathed to you and you have no control over it. And it communicates ethnicity. It communicates yep. your religious background potentially. And, and, you know, it also just has some sort of like phonic vibe. And I quite like my last name. My last name is very unique. It's almost nobody has my last name in this country. And, yeah. uh, and so maybe that like redeems the <laughs> redeems the Brad somehow. I don't know. Well, and maybe that's why they gave you Brad. They didn't want to give you like some sort of avant-garde name because they felt like you already had it covered with Listy. So they were like, if we give this kid too weird of a name, he'll just sound like a product or like a you know a Latin phrase instead of a <laughs> an American name. Leonardo. Yeah, Leonardo Listy. <laughs> And then they just end up calling you Lee because you just from where you grew up anyway. Like they don't even accept the like the full cool name. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's trying funny. To, I'm trying to think about. I think my dad wanted to name me Casey, and my mom overruled it and was like, "No." And then they settled on Brad. <laughs> That's always the funny ones. That was another idea I had for a chapter. Like I kind of try to do some crowdsourcing just to be like, "What should you have been called?" Because it's really funny when it's just like, "Yeah, you know, they were gonna name me." They were going to name me Dagwood after, like, my grandpa's fly buddy in World War II, but then they settled on Terry. <laughs> you know, you're just like, okay, how'd that happen? <laughs> right. So you had one in the chamber that had, like, a story and everything, and you're like, ah, come on, let's not let him get picked on at school. Let's just call him, like, Greg. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this is – I can relate to this as a parent. Like, my daughter – this is a strange story, actually. My daughter, uh, for all of my, like, bluster about um, – feeling neurotic and, you know, reading baby naming books. My wife and I had one conversation, as I recall, about our eldest child, our daughter. And I was like, I think I like the name Evan for a girl. And my wife was like, yeah, I like that. And then it was like, what should we do for the middle name? We were like, I think we should do Olivia. And it was like, it was like that. And it was done. Yeah. And it never deviated. But then, uh, and here I would kind of bounce this back to you, you know, after writing this book to see if you have similar thoughts, but my son was much harder to name and boys in general for me are much harder to name because I feel like there aren't as many good boy names. There, like, there are a million cool names for girls and we struggled so hard to find one that we liked for my son. And it finally got to the point where we gave him three names. <laughs> okay. What so are they? His name, his, his legal name is Jack River Carville Listy, but we call him River. And we, Jack River Carville? It's all, it's like a family name. And a, Jack was like, well, if he, what if he wants to run for office someday and his name's River and everybody thinks he's like some sort of hippie. And you know what I'm saying? It was like all these like kind of negotiations we were doing with ourselves. And I think in our heart, we wanted to name him River. That was the name we liked, but we were second, right. we were second guessing ourselves for being too like, you know, is this something that's going to be like an albatross for him? And so if we had Jack, which is sort of like a timeless classic, then he could always fall back on it if he needed it or was uncomfortable for some reason. Right. But here's the truth. He is River. 
he's always going to be like, there's, there's no other name for him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. And then we, we go to the doctor's office and everybody like, they're like, where's Jack? And we don't even respond. And now the Jack is just like annoying. It's like, we're going to, I think we're going to actually legally change it. Just get rid of the Jack and let the kid be who he is. Well, first of all, Jack, wait, it's Jack river Carville listy. Yeah. Yeah. Jack river Carville is badass. Okay. That's good. Okay. No, that's good. All right. All right. Maybe. No, I love it. Like, uh, and the thing is, like, okay, I think this is kind of like, this is going to sound very insensitive and definitely like a person who doesn't have children, but like, uh, decorating a room, right? Like, there are certain things that you do that you can do that are like timeless. They're not trendy, right? So I feel like your goal is to be like not trendy, like. You're not going with Jack because of Titanic. You're not going with River because of River Phoenix. Like, you just put those names together in a way that you're just like, it just feels like that would fit my kid. You know, like, so I think that there, there's no exact science to this, obviously, because I'm not a baby naming scientist, whatever the hell that career could be. <laughs> but, like, there's certain ones that just hit me right, and other ones I'm just sort of like, nope, you were you just kind of got caught in the trend, you know, like you, you don't want your kid's name to be like wallpaper, you know, like you see people now tearing it out of houses on like HGTV. You don't want that to be the same for like Kaylee. <laughs> yeah, no, there are names that trend hard and there is for some, like, and this is a fascination to me. It's like, why do certain names, I guess like, you know, popular culture can inform the trends, you know, like there'll be a, uh -huh. a carrot, like you said, Jack and Titanic or something or, uh, I want to say the name Madison for a girl was yep. an out, was an outgrowth of uh, Daryl Hannah's character in Splash back in the eighties. Sure. And and by the way, these trends, you know, they might initially take root, you know, three decades ago. But then, like the the trend doesn't like fully blossom until you know a long time after the fact. And which, uh, by the way, is so fascinating too, because I don't think I remembered what Daryl Hannah's character was named in Splash. So you might tie that to that movie but instead then all the madisons of the world get to go out and create a different identity for madison and you know maybe then slams into this book right wait was there a madison in here also kind of like kind of like go the fuck to sleep i literally like sat on this book for like three months and frankly it's really it was really hard to feel funny or creative during the pandemic not knowing what was happening in the world and so um, a large portion of this I I really banged out over the course of like three or four days. I just got on a roll. So I don't even know what names are in it. I just literally made a huge list and just started blasting through them. I don't think there's a Madison. Um, there is a Mad Sin. This says, uh, gender neutral, sex positive, and $48,000 in debt. Most qualified <laughs> to run for president of the United States in 2048. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very strange thing the way names work their way into and out of vogue. Uh, there yeah. are there are names, and I think you can find this on the internet pretty easily. But you can see what the most popular names were for you know boys and girls in say 1945. And when you read the list, you go, oh yeah, that makes some sense because uh, you know a lot of my friends' parents were named these names, or my parents are named these yep. names. And then you see like 10, 20 years later, the the list has, you know, changed entirely with maybe one or two holdovers. And 
um, I, that whole process, you know, it, aside from popular culture informing it, it, holds a lot of mystery to me. The way like the group mind makes these decisions. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of not a lot of Karens probably in 20 years. Not a lot of Donalds. What else would we? Uh, what else would you be hard pressed to while you're delivering a baby to the world in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I did write a chapter about this, or at least a selection. I said, you know. I know some of y'all like to get trendy, but like, don't name your kid Corona or Rona. Uh, I think, sorry, I think I I, I got to figure out exactly what I said, but I believe it was something to the effect of like, look, we all know what everybody did during the shutdown, and that's how you're growing your family. <laughs> but we don't need to hear the story about it. We know that it's a pandemic, baby. Don't call him Rona or Corona. I'm like, just name your dog Fauci. If you really, <laughs> if you really want to commemorate this time, you can do that in a way that doesn't stick with your family for for centuries to come. Yeah, why would you want to memorialize a global pandemic with yeah. your child's name? That's that's foolish. But uh, I I hadn't given maybe a, as much thought as I should have to this idea of pandemic babies, like the pandemic generation of kids born as an outgrowth of this sort of uh, lockdown. Well, first of all, I was I grew up on a hog farm in Ohio, so and all me and all my brothers' birthdays are in the fall. So I'm assuming all of us were only born because my mom got cold during the winter time. That's all I assume. <laughs> so I I see all these people who are like announcing their babies right now and I'm just like, Okay. If you're announcing that you're pregnant right now, all right, you definitely chose to or accidentally got pregnant during the heat of the pandemic for sure. And then for people who are having their babies born right about now, I'm just like, okay, was this like a pre-COVID decision? Or is this like we're getting to the point in the calendar where it's like, you might have like willfully engaged in this practice, even knowing that the world was going haywire. Yeah, you know, my par- my all three of uh, my parents' children were born in August. My sisters and I are uh, all born in August. So the, jo- yep. the joke is that my parents only had sex at like the holidays or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like stressful times i'm thinking of 9-11 and all the relationships and you know flings that were an outgrowth of the post 9-11 trauma and then the, yeah. the pandemic and the trump presidency and all the chaos and um and heartache and all of it you know it makes sense to me that people would be making the perhaps like totally irrational decision to breed <laughs> you, look you gotta find a way to feel like you still have control in this world and making a life might just, you might just check that box. Okay. Funny trivia. I can't believe I'm about to say funny trivia about nine 11. That's <laughs> the way it was about to come out, but that's not what I mean. But actually the like post nine 11, um, it had the opposite effect. And f- because I have some friends who work in higher ed and this last year they've been preparing for this in the field of higher ed for years because, oh God, I'm forgetting what it was called, but uh, the birth rate dropped so low after 9-11 that like this was going to be that age of kids maturing into college age adults. And there's just less of them in America. And they attribute that to the mood, malaise, fear that surrounded 9-11. So like, somehow the September 11th attacks had like a pointed effect on the size of enrollable 
18 year olds in like universities. Interesting. Cause I feel like, like it was discussed at conventions. Like, well, you know, once we hit 2020, we're going to have to prepare for like the, the great, you know, the great college birth dip. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I feel like casual sex, like the, the, the think pieces that I was reading, if I'm recalling correctly during that time were that people were hooking up a, a lot after nine 11 because like their guards were down and, they're just like walking up to one another and talking and everybody was like emotionally wounded and you know, right. needing like intimacy to try to like, you know, uh, put some sort of like salve on the wound or whatever. They're like, I love America. Do you love America? Let's hook up. <laughs> Let's kiss. <laughs> or like nothing matters. Like, you know, yeah. we're all going down. This is a fucking shit show. That does sound like a bit of a Chad move now that we're talking about it. That's like... <laughs> Hey, are you okay? How are you holding up? <laughs> you know, from nine eleven. Want to go back to want to go back to my place? <laughs> want to go back to my place and watch Rudy Giuliani on SNL? At no way, in any shape or form, will he be embarrassing to America in the future? You know, he's locked in. Okay, it's interesting that you, that you bring him up because he's you know he's been on my mind a lot for obvious reasons lately, and. I want to say it was Esquire magazine or New York magazine. One of the, you know, a magazine like that, that did a profile of Rudy Giuliani shortly after, I believe, his mayorship ended in New York. So he had that like kind of glorious run as America's mayor and he was this beloved figure and was being touted as a possible presidential contender. And that was the popular idea of him. And I think I was sort of there, you know, in a half-assed kind of way. Uh, I think people who lived in New York, uh, you know, during his mayorship had much different ideas. But just me, like, watching on television, like, I sort of, like, thought that he was a relatively, I don't know, normal human. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I, re I read this thing, and it was not that long after 9-11. And, and uh, in fact, like, the profile might have even predated 9-11. I'm not 100% sure, but... The gist of it was that he was fucking batshit crazy. And yeah. I'll never forget the there was a term that was sort of bandied about, I think, among like media types in New York. They called it the full Rudy. And <laughs> they were just like, you know, have you gotten the full Rudy? And it was like this level of crazy that he was capable of that didn't happen all the time, but happened sometimes. And that always stuck with me. And it completely changed my, and it was also like a very well-resourced piece and very well-written piece. And to me, it was yep. entirely believable. So I was like, wow, that was a load of shit. Like this whole media c creation, like not that he didn't do some genuinely nice things after 9-11, you know, right. like I don't want to completely denigrate. I mean, it's, it's not all black and white, but um, I think what we're seeing now is the full Rudy. And I think it's the accumulated pressure of legal stress coupled with probably substance abuse coupled with old age. And See, maybe, maybe if we ever talk again, we should try to find people out in the world that have a Rudy Giuliani tattoo from around <laughs> 2001 and how they feel about it in 2021. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's a... There's going to be a lot of reckonings, I hope. Uh, in the years to come about the times we're living through currently. Like, it has gotten... I don't know how you feel. I don't mean to presume that you see things as I do, but I... I think you, pres I think you presumed correctly. It's pretty... Like, I just... Can we just agree that this is batshit crazy what's happening? Like, 100%. Okay. Yeah, this... I mean, look, I mean, 
you're a book guy. You're a published author. Like now I am too. I mean, like this wouldn't this wouldn't pass muster. These real life characters would not make it out of a first draft. And these and the and the scenarios that we are being pre- yeah. presented with on a daily basis would get laughed out of the room if you pitched them in Hollywood. You'd be like, yeah. okay, yeah. So so the president's going to lose, and then his personal lawyer you know, is going to go to this place called four seasons, total landscaping <laughs> instead of the four yeah, seasons, I mean, you know, you can't make it up. That's the, the thing is, and I'm a fan of this show, but we can all agree that it probably didn't need to come back. That right there was the best scene of the last three seasons of arrested development. And it wasn't in the show. Right. I mean, it's like, it's that, like, that's what that is. Like that, that's why we love that show. It's because the Bluth family is that, is just like just by merely existing and by being completely blinded to your own hubris and absurdity, you're just constantly doubling down on your own mistakes and wrongheaded thinking. You know, like that's how you end up in front of Four Seasons Landscaping or at a press conference yesterday where your Just for Men starts running coal black down your ears. I mean, again, like you or I could not get that past a Hollywood creative team. They'd be like, what are you trying to go for here? I don't know why anybody would believe this or why they would buy this. Uh, all right. So you mentioned hog farm <laughs> and I can't let that go by without diving in a little bit deeper. So Nor should you. where in Ohio were you raised? What kind of hog farm are we talking about? And I should also add that I grew up in Indiana, not terribly far from where you did. And there was uh, a hog farm abutting my suburban neighborhood that I used to have to actually, uh, you know, I used to have to ride on the school bus to, even though like my school was like five minutes from my house, my school bus ride took like 30 minutes because we had to go out into the, into the boonies as we called them to pick up the kids who lived in the country. And we, we (laughs) went through this hog farm, uh, you know, every day. So this was like a, a feature of my youth. So I would, that was me. That was me. Like I, nobody else that I went to school with lived on a farm. I lived just outside of like the, the, you know, the city limits or town limits of the town that my, you know, my, is my address growing up. So I was definitely like an outsider in that respect. And I was the kid who made everybody's bus ride 35 minutes long, including my own. Like I was the first person to get picked up and the last to get dropped off. I swear, I think it's the reason why now, even like a full work day, I'm just like, God, how long is this day going to last? Because I can just remember being like, all right, school's out at 2.30. Well, you might as well settle in. You're not going to really get to go watch TV after school until like 3.45 by the time they've let like every student off the bus. So that's how I grew up. I mean, I come from a long line of farmers and now neither me or my brothers are farmers. I feel like we all kind of have the general appreciation of like, um, kind of good to grow up that way, especially because my my parents did not indenture us as farm workers like many previous generations did, and they did that on purpose, you know, because they wanted us, I think, to be able to play sports, you know, do do other things that we wanted to do that other quote unquote normal kids did. Um, so that's really kind of the background. So like, I come from an agriculture background, but I knew that wasn't for me. Like I, I mean, in fact, I've only lived in my hometown in Ohio and in Columbus, Ohio, went to school here, never left. 
And a part of it, part of it's because like, I know it's not, but to me, Columbus was a big city compared to where I grew up. And it was all that I needed. You know, I've been to so many other cities in the U S I love the, to visit those places. Columbus is like easy. I know a lot of people, like I've got my favorite places to go. And for me as a, as a person who grew up, I got here and I was just like, fuck yeah, sidewalks, <laughs> you know? I mean, it just like, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, you know, I, I used to never ride my bike. You know, I, I, I lived on a state route next to a ditch, you know, it was, it was not like I didn't ride my bike to my friend's house. So I think a lot of kind of my adult life is about trying to grasp some sort of city life that I didn't have growing up. So people do the, either one or the other, right? They either run back towards what feels comfortable to them at some point. I have a lot of friends who live in the city now who are like, I can't wait to buy seven acres somewhere and just go chop wood and write and play music and fish and all these things that they can do in solitude. And I went the other way. I was like, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to be, I want to be where the action is. Even if that's Columbus, Ohio, anybody listening to this will be laughing at me just saying, I want to be where the action is followed by Columbus, Ohio. But hey, for a farm kid, I was like, yeah, this is great. This is perfect. So what was the name of the town where your address was as a kid? Sydney, Ohio, with an I, S-I-D-N-E-Y. Okay. And I should say, in defense of Columbus, that I have been reading a lot of good things about it and hearing good things about it. And I feel like it's been making a lot of those lists, because I'm, I'm a huge consumer of lists of like the best towns to live in in America. And Columbus is up there. It's super affordable. There's a college town. Isn't there a river right there in town that runs through town? Am I got to There's a uh, two rivers uh that that sort of meet like right outside of like downtown, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you should uh make no apologies for Columbus. I mean, Columbus is a cool, groovy place to live and there's something to be said for keeping your overhead low. Sure. Well, and honestly, it's become the joke. So I mean, my journalism job, I actually ran the City Magazine for 10 years up until the end of 2018. It was called 614, which is our area code. I was their editor in chief and kind of helped get the magazine off the ground. And it kind of became a running editorial joke for me to just be like, Columbus this month makes the list of best houses to buy in a place in the Midwest uh, that's on a list. It was just list, 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 list. And it sort of almost became like an inside joke where it's like, well, no shit. We love Columbus because it's easy to live here. You've got some culture and people are nice, <laughs> you know, like is like, but there's also part of, you know, Columbus that, and this is natural, but there's part of Columbus that's always wanting to be like, uh, we're the, we want to be the next Austin, the next Madison, the next Portland, the next this. And it's like, nah, those, those things happened organically. You won't ever be those places. Just be, just, just be you, you know, be, and, and I think, and, you know, places like $2 radio, which I would love to talk briefly about, you know, these little like indie book publisher, um, They've published some amazing authors, local and otherwise. You know, I, I, I'd i rather that we get known at some point just for little things like that, like these these sort of creative denizens that are just like happen to live in Columbus or they moved here for like a day job, you know, and while they were here, they started, you know, something of their own that, that makes a little bit of noise. But yeah, it's, I got, I, I, lo- I love being here, but it's just, but I still always have to, you know, Part of it being in the Midwest, you know where you come from. I mean, it's like part of it is also being humble, you know, knowing that, you know, I know if I go to California right now and say, 
Western Ohio hog farm that they will picture me with like a piece of straw in my mouth and you know like they'll they'll picture me as whatever naive hayseed character Hollywood has been using Ohio for 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 50 years you know like you gotta you gotta take a fish out of water and put him in New York you're like oh they're from Cleveland yeah, they're from, yeah you know they're from Dayton I, I hear you and I say this like as somebody who can relate because I came here after a Midwestern youth, uh, you know, split between Indiana and Wisconsin. And um, here's the thing, though. I've lived in Los Angeles for 20 years, and you always hear about the red state, blue state divide, or you hear about the flyover states and the coastal elites and all these different ways that the media and the citizenry characterize ourselves in this kind of tribalized way. And I think there is a perception, particularly in the American South, but also possibly in the Midwest, that the people in New York and LA and in these like cultural capitals and in Silicon Valley and everything are like looking down their nose at the Midwest. And I'm sure there's some of that somewhere, you know, there's always going to be some asshole who's like, Oh, what you're from Kentucky. You know, there's going to be that guy. But my over the overwhelming experience I have of living in Los Angeles is, (laughs) is that like, we're not thinking at all about any of that. No. Like everyone's just trying to survive. It's not any different. And it's just better weather and worse traffic is the joke. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just For like sure. it's just like yeah. any other place. And and really like I mean maybe I think about this cuz I have relatives in the south who seem to think more about California and have like issues with California as a thing. <laughs> yeah. Than like California has with it. Like we don't Maybe that's a problem. Maybe we should be thinking more about it. But, like, there's just no contentiousness. There's no, like, looking down the nose. It's just kind of like, oh, you're from, you're from, uh, you know, Florida or you're from Mississippi? Like, cool. Right. Like, what's it like there? You know, must be cheap. That's probably what people would say. Like, Sure. Well, and there's there are two answers to that. I mean, I mean, one, like, I love Chicago and I love New York. But you know what I'm going to find a lot of when I go to Chicago and New York? bunch of goddamn people from the midwest yeah you know what i mean like i don't it's not like you know a bronx tale i go to new york and they're just like somebody playing stickball and be like hey <laughs> like no i'm gonna see a fucking guy named jeff with a g and two f's who graduated from you know indiana university has lived in chicago for 20 years like like we we actually aren't this tribal we aren't this territorial you know like and the second part of it is that, you know, like, like I, I used to write about this pretty frequently. I would just be like, the Midwest has an identity crisis, and the, the crisis is that they can't stop fixating on what the rest of the country thinks their identity is. And, like, Columbus is a microcosm of that. It's like Ohio and the Midwest, I think to your point, kind of thinks that the rest of the world has a certain opinion about them. And it's neither bad or good. They just... It's a big-ass country. If they don't have any relatives in Ohio, they don't know anything about it. I live in Ohio. I don't know shit about Utah. Right. Well, and You know, you, you're you, right. You're, you're totally right. It's like, but California, you know, you know, it, it's, that's where Hollywood is, you know, and Hollywood is out of touch, <laughs> you know, with regular America. Yeah, no shit. It's fantasy. Yeah. Well, and I, listen. Of course it's out of touch. I, I think that, that California and... You know, a state like California or a place like New York City that is the purveyor of media and culture, which touches us all, should properly come under scrutiny and should be subject to the opinions of 
people all over the place to a greater extent than say like Banger Maine. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, <laughs> of course. It, it makes sense. But as you were talking about the Midwest and this sort of identity crisis thing, what it was making me think of is like my insecurities as an adolescent where I was, con- you know, you, as an adolescent, you're, or at least this is how it was for me. I was always like worried about what people thought of me, you know, like, uh, does, yeah. she, does she like me? Like, do these people think I'm cool? Like, do they hate my guts or I'm still kind of like that. And the truth is that it's like, they're not even thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's one of the most, one of the, I'm the same way. I think it's part of the Midwest rearing kind of, you know, like I told somebody the other day, I was like, I feel like the two greatest things I was taught by my Midwestern parents was, um, always speak up for, for something that you think is right, or you see something that is wrong and you want to speak out against it. Uh, rule one a is try to make everybody feel comfortable and safe and listen to at all times, <laughs> you know, and those two things kind of like run counter to one another. But so as a result, I think that can, that can create a scenario where you're like walking around a lot being like, like I'm pretty self-assured person, but I'm also can easily convince myself that I've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, upset someone, and they're just not going to tell me. And I can't tell you how exciting it was and thrilling it was when I finally was able to convince myself no one's fucking thinking about you at all. At all. At all. That, not at all. Like, they're dealing with their own anxieties. They're they're playing a song in their head. That's what's happening. Like, you, you are not on their agenda. The only reason why they're on yours is because you've got a weird Midwestern guilt complex. And once I figured out that nobody had it figured out, and everybody's fucking up a little bit and everybody thinks they're the only one in the room that everybody's looking at because they're fucking it up. Once I realized that that was what everybody was thinking, it really, really like was a good permanent positive change in my life. Yeah. No, I think that's uh that seems like healthy development, you know, uh, I, hopefully we I did it with this book. I did it with this book. I mean, I was like, I cracked a joke about my hometown in there, you know, like, which I think is loving, but somebody might read it and be like, you son of a bitch. You know, I, <laughs> my, my mom loved the book, which is pretty high praise because I think a lot of times she might just be like, oh, there's Travis just doing his silly stuff. And I said, oh, you liked it. And she goes, well, I didn't like that. You said abortion on the first page, <laughs> which was not my intention, but you know, I, I wrote down the name Ace, and I decided when I wrote this book, I was just going to make this huge list of names. My wife helped me just put together a huge list of names, and how I did it was I just went through, and I was like, if if this inspires a joke, I write it. If it doesn't, I move on. So that's what happened. So, I mean, I basically ended up writing about a joke for about maybe 40% of this list. Well, I got to Ace. I wasn't thinking about how it would be in alphabetical order. And I wrote, you know, probably one of my favorite jokes of the book because it just spoke to me. And it was, here, I got to find it. It was Ace. It's not appropriate to respond to the question, should we get an abortion with finger guns? <laughs> you know, like, that's the joke. That's th- that's the joke. I'm not saying that's the right joke or that's the most funny joke. But it's like, I feel like if I stuck to just sort of like, whatever essence just flops out of your brain that will make it most likely to be relatable or something that somebody doesn't internalize too much. They just laugh at and go, Holy shit. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. No first thought, best thought. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you about community and it's funny that you're in Ohio. It could be really any smaller town, 
um, that would spark this question in me because I feel like community is something that's sorely lacking in Los Angeles and in big cities too often. Um, I don't know. I guess I can only speak for my experience in Los Angeles. Maybe in New York, everybody's getting together, but it seems like it would be easier in a town the size of Columbus or if you're living in a small town to feel a sense of community and connectivity and you get to know people and people in the Midwest are so fucking nice. That's, that is something I I really do miss is just how easy it is to be friendly with people there. That's how, that's how I came up. And I'm thinking as well of Dave Chappelle who, you know, has kind of made this now like famous move back to Ohio and is living in this small town of Yellow Springs very intentionally, like as a kind of refuge from the sort of alienation that I am speaking to. Yeah. And I'm curious to know if that is part like the at the core of the appeal of Columbus for you, if it's something you experience. Do you feel alienated there? Like, am I missing the boat? Are you like, yeah, actually, everybody's isolated here too, or is it different? No, I fucking love it here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, like I said, you know, like the nobody in the world is thinking about Columbus, which means nobody's scrutinizing Columbus either. You know, I mean, like, I, I didn't really think about this as directly when I was writing this, but now that it's out, we did a, a you know a little virtual author talk about it the other day. Like, the cover of this book is one of my closest friends in Columbus uh, named Phil Kim. And it's a picture of him at a Burger King in Ohio with his Korean grandmother when he's like two years old. Like a lot of the pictures in the book, some are stock, some are ones that I crowdsourced from friends of mine. So like they're shitty, weird pictures of them growing up. Like there, there's like a, you know, I, I don't think I would have done that if I was doing this for a big publisher. I was just going to say, and you landed with a great indie. Like, I feel like what those guys at $2 Radio have done and are doing is is super cool. Like, going to a place like Columbus and just kind of yep. owning it. They have a bookstore there now, right? Yeah. So they got a, book, like- a bookstore, a film company, uh, an independent press. Like, am I missing something? No, no, you're right. Like you're 100% right. Like $2 radio is a perfect example of what Columbus is and what it can do. You know, like and and the thing and and again, think about what they did. They embraced my weird little idea and then like a year and a half later, we're like we've got a spot for it. They could have easily just done it themselves or found somebody else to do it, but they were just like, "No, we we like this idea." And they were so collaborative i mean like i said you know like we had discussions about the cover let's put my friend on it let's use i mean i literally sent out facebook messages to my friends like send us your weirdest baby photos and high school you know senior photos maybe they'll get put in this book and i've been watching people this week post them on instagram and tag me and two dollar radio i could walk right into two dollar radio and talk to eric and eliza you know who run the shop and and be like i've got an idea you know, like if that was New York or L.A., I mean, I'm sure I could find another indie publisher to have those meetings with. But there was no gatekeeper that had to connect us in Columbus. It was just like, hey, I got an idea. Let's see if it sticks. And so I think now that the book is out and it's interesting that you say about community, it feels like a collaborative piece of work. You know, it doesn't just feel like some weird thing I wrote and then went through the whole process with an agent and a publisher and, you know, had to negotiate how they liked it, but they wanted it to change a lot. You know, none of those things that I think might have happened in in bigger cities and bigger markets. 
It's just my stupid, silly little baby naming book that's like, you know, literally Instagram shaped. And I kind of love it. And I think it's I think there's a little bit of Columbus and Ohio in the Midwest in the actual production of this. You know, literally the copy that I'm holding has like a pint glass ring on it already. Like it's (laughs) it's literally just made to be that thing that you like flip through and be like, read it out loud to somebody, you know, send it to your friend as a gift because you're like, I don't know what to get an infant or new parents, well, you get them a roast book, you know? That's what I was just going to say. It feels like, and I think that's what happened with Go the Fuck to Sleep, is that it became a bestseller because it became this thing that every expecting parent gets from somebody, you know? So yeah. so that's maybe what you're hoping for, is that this book becomes like the baby naming book that becomes a like a perennial gift or whatever. Yeah, and obviously I want it to sell well for namely for $2 radio because they're the one that took a chance on my idea and I'm rooting for them even when I'm not on their roster. And it'd be nice for the book to sell for me too, but right now I'm seriously just really excited to see people literally attach you know like I said, comedian for 20 years, mostly regional, local, uh published journalist for 20 years. No one ever really reviews my work. No one's ever tagged me in an Instagram story and said, who I don't know, and says, check out Travis 614's book. It's hilarious. I'm like, I'm I'm geeking out over it. I'm being totally honest. I'm just like, cool. Somebody I don't know read this book and thinks it's funny. Like, I did it. <laughs> what about what about stand-up? You, you say you, you're mostly in Ohio and the surrounding region? Yeah. How did you get into that? College. I mean, I, I literally in college discovered that I could write jokes and that I could also write in a journalistic or editorial way. And I took one as a career path and the other one just remained as like a somewhat paid hobby. And I never really wanted to change that. It was great to just be like, I could not tell jokes for six months and I'd get a burst of ideas and I'd write them down and I'd go perform them and maybe make some money, maybe, you know, get a bar tab paid for and just kind of scratching a creative itch. Well, you know, I'm 40, 41 now, not exactly hitting up the open mics, even if it was pre COVID. So maybe, you know, that <clears throat> back then, the only thing I would have known to do that was kind of turnkey with like wanting to do something in humor was just show up at a bar and put your name on a list. Well, now I'm, you know, wrote a book, I'm doing virtual trivia events. Like I'm finding all these different ways in this new world to kind of like throw my humor out there. And all that started with stand up, but, I mean, I think every time I thought about being a comedian properly as a job, I just knew it didn't really appeal to me. Like, I think the life of a comedian is, other than the people who really, really make it and then have the ability to do their own things and control their own schedules, uh, it seemed like such a lonely life. Like, you're you're not in your, you're not near your friends, you're not <clears throat> near your home base, you're on the road a lot, and you're not on the road the way like Rockstar is, you know, like you're you're doing like a basement club somewhere and you know, probably Ohio or Indiana, let's be honest. And uh no, so it, I I never had to re- how about this? I never had to resent it because it never was paying my rent. So it was always just like an extra bonus creative side hustle. And now the book I think is a, you know, manifestation of that. It's like I clearly have a desire to express myself creatively and make people laugh and find find something that is universal that people relate to in a in a funny way <clears throat> and the book seems like a lot more of a 41 year old way to do that than like you know doing basement bars 
in in the Midwest. <laughs> well, I think it's uh I think it's excellent. I think it's a, a, a unique spin on a, a sort of like publishing industry standard. I've never seen a baby naming book like this, and I have read a bunch of them. So kudos to you for finding a new way in. Uh, and for hooking up with the folks at $2 Radio. It's been great to meet you and to talk with you about all this. I wish you well during the rest of the pandemic over the holidays and uh, with whatever comes next. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. This is like the this is the first podcast I've been on to talk about the book outside of a couple of uh, hometown hometown uh, titles. So I, I it seriously is kind of an honor. Thank you for letting me put my name next to some of the people that my dad grew up reading. It makes me feel legit. It, it fills my little Midwestern insecurity complex that's still in there. And as far as I'm concerned, you're the, uh, you're the, you're the best Brad I've ever met. <laughs> Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. <laughs> All right. The, the honor was both of ours. I appreciate you, man. All right, guys. That was Travis Haywisher. His book is called The $2 Radio Guide to Naming Your Baby. It's available right now. If you're expecting, or if you plan to be expecting at some point in the future, you might want to get this name. If you're, if you're going to get a dog, take this shit seriously. You can find Travis Haywisher on Twitter. You can follow him over there. He's a funny guy. His handle is at Travis underscore 614. Check out $2 Radio, too, at $2RRadio.com. One of our finest indies. They got a lot going on. The $2 uh, $2 Radio Guide to Naming Your Baby, available now. From the mind of Travis Haywisher. Go get your copy. What do you guys think of this uh, musical? I feel like I'm just going all in on the baby music today, or just the thematic score. This program is entirely free. Every single episode is offered to you, the listener, free of charge. It's a listener-supported show. If you listen regularly and you enjoy the program, support the show if you have the means. You can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod throw a couple of bucks in the hat if you need to reach me you can email me at letters at otherppl.com if you want an other people t-shirt sweatshirt tank top just go to the show's official website otherppl.com click on the t-shirt in the left sidebar and get yourself some apparel if you want to do a where I listen photo, if you're out somewhere in space listening to this program and you have your phone and you want to take a picture and send it in, you can DM the show on Twitter at other PPL or on Instagram. You can also email me. This program has its own official app, the other people with Brad Listy app. It too is free. It's a good app. Go get the app. It's a great way to listen. All right. Thank you to Beyonce and uh, Destiny's Child. I hope this is okay. I could not resist this song. I don't know who's going to be on the show next week. It's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs>